Genesis chapter 5 this morning. Genesis chapter 5. I'm going to speak to you about the man that God waited for. Just a few verses here, Genesis 5 and verse 21. The Bible says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Heavenly Father, thank you for a chance to speak your word. It is the word of the living God. Thank you for the humbling and sobering experience it is and responsibility it is to give your word. Thank you for those that are here. Lord, they came expecting something from you. They don't need something from man. So, Father, I pray you'd fill us with your spirit. Be with those that are speaking at our camps this morning, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit of God and the power of God. Lord, our country needs you. Our world needs you. Our state, our city, our church. But God, I need you. And each one that is honest would say the same. So Father, meet with us today, we pray. Glorify your word, magnify it. And may Christ be seen, and we pray in Christ's name today. Amen. Though the title of the message doesn't really say it, the story in Genesis 5 is really about two men. The story of Methuselah, mentioned in verse 21, is directly connected to the story of Enoch. Enoch was... a uh, like his antitype, Lamech, he's seven generations descended from Adam. And Lamech, if you read about him in Genesis chapter 4, he's kind of a, well, I'll just put it straightforward, a bragging, murdering, polygamous blasphemer in the line of Cain. Enoch is a man who walked with God in the line of Seth. And it seems a little bit more than just small coincidence, forgive me, that God would select the seventh from Adam and each of these families to represent how things were going in their respective lines. Lamech, Enoch. We know the family of Seth from Genesis 5 is a, a family that came to call upon the name of the Lord. And in that line, Seth's line of humility, there are two notable characters that emerge. Enoch and his son, Methuselah. Now, the son, Methuselah, is remarkable for how long he lived before he died. The father is remarkable because he never died. Now, you study Seth's family here in Genesis chapter 5, and God needed no book for Cain's family. Their names are simply not there. When the book of life is opened, their names will not be found. Enoch is already 306 years old and had been walking for, with God for 250 years before Adam dies. It's quite a thing. Most certainly... Enoch knew Adam, and he had an opportunity to hear from his five-time great-grandfather. It's remarkable. I'm sure he heard, he, how could he not, about how Adam walked with God in the cool of the day and spent that time. I'm, I'm sure it stirred something in him, and perhaps the story of his great-great-great-great-grandfather stirred up that passion to know God more intimately. Something happened. It's interesting also that Adam was only the second person that was named to die. The other was the martyr, Abel. The first two people that God records that died in the Bible went to heaven. 
went with God. And the third person recorded left the earth and never died. That's an interesting thought because God began to populate heaven before Satan could populate hell. By the way, that should remind you and I today that that is God's willingness to save. He wants to save. In verse 24, it says here, Enoch was not, for God took him. Wow. Enoch is the only person who never died and never will. Moses, taken away. We believe he's going to come back. He's been waiting around in heaven for a while. Oh, man, I got to go back and die before the whole world. Elijah, taken up with a whirlwind. Coming back, he's going to have to die. Enoch, as the Bible students know, the Bible student knows is the type of the raptured Christian. Never die, never will. <laughs> That's what Jesus said to Martha. There are some that will not see death. Enoch is the only one so far. The Bible says, by faith Enoch, in Hebrews 11.5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Wow. Not see it. And was not found because God had translated him. Americans have astronauts, right? The Russians have the cosmonauts. The Chinese have the taikonauts. And God has was not. Not a space suit, amen, a grace suit. Come on. That's good. But you say, you say, Brother Marshall, I thought we were going to talk about Methuselah. We, we are. We're going to talk about Methuselah. But we have to talk about Enoch first. We do not understand Methuselah until we look at Enoch. I want you to see, first of all, this morning, the circumstances in which Enoch walked with God. Go to Genesis chapter 6. These are the, the, the situation, the political field on which he served. The sociological and societal challenges, yea, debauchery, in which Enoch lived. The Bible says it came to pass in verse 1, Genesis 6, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. For he that is also, excuse me, for he that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace. In the eyes of the Lord. Enoch's life overlaps with his great grandson Noah. And Enoch walked in this same wicked, wicked, devious world. It was so wicked that God said, I'm going to wipe it out. I'm going to wash it away. I will destroy this place. And men like Cain, men like Lamech, and their offspring, they ruled and roamed the world and raped and pillaged and caused mayhem. And they waxed worse and worse. And it seemed that for every one of their advancements in technology, there was a corresponding surge in perversity. Demonic influence over humanity was so prevalent that somehow... 
hard to fathom, somehow they've affected the DNA of mankind. So much to produce a race of giants. That seems so weird, except we live in a very similar time. Where man thinks they can play God. And I believe that we will see demonic activity more and more. Jesus prophesied of it. But as the days of Noah were, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving a marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And the days leading up to Christ's return, it's going to be desperately wicked here. Creepily weird. Wicked. Devious. Man has an infatuation with the other world. Has anybody been keeping track that suddenly we're allowed to talk about UFOs? Is that not weird? We're now going to do a 60-minute special on it and admit that we were just kidding about the fact that we were kidding. Or we were hiding things. It is very weird. In the end, this book will stand as absolute truth. It will, it will be fulfilled. I don't have time to go into that. You could go look at that. But the Bible talks about it. Demonic activity. And my point to you this morning about Enoch is this. Enoch walked with God in a wicked time. And this is exactly how God wants us to walk. Philippians 2 verse 15 says that ye, you and I, may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the mountains. It's not what the Bible says. I'm not being facetious. I'm saying what the Bible says. It says in the midst in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. He says, I, I, I'm praying, I'm preaching, I'm ministering, I'm, tr I'm, I'm trying to help you, Paul says to the Philippians, that you and, you and I may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, like God, in the middle of a wicked world, among, among whom you shine as lights. You stand out. And that is the kind of world that Enoch walked with God in. How did Enoch walk with God in those circumstances? Let me give you a couple ideas. Number one, Enoch delighted in the company of God. Enoch walked with God because God was his friend. And he liked his company. You know, all of us have had to work with people at a job that are very difficult to get along with. They can be very hard to work with. <laughs> I'm just repeating what he said about me. I actually really enjoy working with Brother Doty when he's not trying to tackle me in the hallway. But we've had people we have to work alongside with that we don't really enjoy their company. Don't say loud, don't say amen too loud, okay? We don't want to prolong the experience any more than is necessary. You cannot walk with someone for 300 years and not enjoy them. You can't walk 300 years with someone you don't like. Maybe in your mind it's a forced march, but that's not what it is for Noah, for, for Enoch. He wanted to walk with God. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever wanted to get away from God? I have. I wish I didn't have to listen to that sermon today. I wish I didn't have to go to church today. I wish I didn't have to read the Bible today. Is there, is there, can I just leave and just go away and God wouldn't know. We know the psalmist talks about that. He said, I'll go up to the stars. God's there. I go to the depths of the earth. God's there. He's everywhere. But have you ever tried to get away from him? David said it, whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? 
If you are saved this morning, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And, and you can try, but you cannot completely escape his company. You can forget that you're purged from your old sins, but you're not comfortable. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be quenched. And you can get to a place where you don't sense God's presence at all in your life. And there's no sense, real sense of actually walking with him. You can get to that place as a Christian. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I'm sure there are some in this room that have gotten to that place. By the way, there are many Christians, as we heard this morning, that, that live right there. Just enough is plenty enough. Well, maybe even more than enough. Take a minute and stop and think, is this how I feel about God? My family, we have a good family. We have good cars. We have a, a good life. We have a water heater that works, amen. We have a dishwasher that if you kick it the right way, it comes on. I don't know if I need any more from God. Enoch walked with God because he loved his company. Can you imagine going on a trip for a few days with someone you don't like? <laughs> Everywhere you go, you drive from place to place. <clears throat> They're going to join you for every meal. They're going to be there when you relax. They're going to be there when you want to get up and go. Every site, attend every function. They're going to hear every song that you turn on on the radio. They're going to be with you on the trip, every program on TV. Everything is going to be done in their company. Now, many of us can think of one person that that would be pretty enjoyable with. At least one. Hopefully, it's your spouse if you're married. But we all, we all have probably a longer list of people that we would not enjoy that trip with, right? There's very few people that we completely trust and enjoy so thoroughly that we would do those kind of things with and enjoy it. And we would not tire of them. And we would not wish to be out of their company after a little bit of time. What I'm saying to you this morning is this. In a wicked world where I believe is more wicked than it is right now. Enoch walked with God for 300 years. How? Because he wanted to be with him and he delighted in his company. And God should be my and your constant companion from which you do not only get away from, but do not want to get away from. It should not be your desire of, I'll put in my dues on Sunday, and I'll even think about Sunday night maybe every once in a while. But the rest of the week, that's, that's you know, six days you work, seven days God's. No, you and I should desire to be with him. If you don't see anything attractive in God, you won't walk with him. He'll be your life. He'll be your savior, but not in the sense that Enoch walked with him. And if there are places you want to go and things that you want to do and people that you want to be with, that having his company there makes the whole thing less enjoyable, you're not walking with God. David said it this way, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Enoch walked in a wicked world because he delighted in God. Number two, he walked because he determined to go in the same direction as God. To walk with someone means that you have to agree, amen, spouses, on the direction that you're going to go. You don't say, let's go on a morning walk, and she goes this way, and you go that way. Some of you would like that. But how can two walk together except they'd be agreed? Have you ever been on one of those walks where it is just not time to talk? We are here for the physical exercise, <laughs> not the emotional connection. Have you been on one of these walks? Don't leave me up here on this platform all alone. You've been on one of those walks if you're married. Yeah. Amen. Isn't it nice when you agree? Isn't it nice when you talk about the Lord? Isn't it nice when you talk about, think on these things, pure, lovely, just, 
And you have those things in your mind, and you're talking about what God's doing in your life, even in the midst of a trial. That's what God wants for you and I. If you're walking with someone, you have to agree on the direction you're going. Can I tell you this? God's not going to surrender to you. People want to take God on their walk. They want to include God in what they are already planning on doing. God doesn't surrender to you. He is God. He wants you to surrender to him. Can I say this, though? If you'll go in the direction of God, you have God walking with you. It's a privilege just to be near him. Just to know that he's there. And thy presence is fullness of joy. Aren't you glad there's every once in a while God comes alongside and says, it's going to be all right. I'm all you need. I'll fulfill what you need. And we your third reason why Enoch walked with God. He detested anything that would take him away from God. You say, how do I know that? Because of the day in which he lived. It was a wicked time. And he did not want to be near that stuff. And he couldn't be near that stuff if he was going to be a friend of God and walk with him. Why don't you see, secondly and lastly this morning, it's a six-hour point, but the last point <laughs> is the cause of Enoch's walk with God. What caused him to do so? Look in Genesis 5. The Holy Spirit points out something to us in verse 22. Enoch walked with God. What's that next word? After. Now, I suppose that it's, it's safe for you and I to assume that his life was ordinary. I mean, he's in the line of Seth, the family of Seth. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't think it's wise for us to assume that he would be, have any particular evil in him, in the line of Seth, right? He's in a godly line, the ones that called on God. And, and things seem to have been relatively kept under control compared to Cain's family. So I think he's, he's a good man. We're not told any particular virtuous thing about Enoch until verse 22. And it says, after he begat Methuselah. Something happened after he had Methuselah. It's often the case in mankind, we begin to make important decisions after we have children. Pastor said to me the other day, he said, <laughs> This is so, this is so true what he said. He said, most newly married couples are selfish. The only thing that changes is they have a child and someone is more selfish than them. And all of a sudden, you're asleep and you're staying up till all hours of the night, just vegging on Netflix turns into something completely different. We will get as much rest as possible. It's the old, it's your turn. You get up. And we barter. <laughs> but often I've seen that people get very serious. I, I didn't know much about life until I had my first baby. And then I realized I knew nothing about life. One thing I didn't know is how evil and wicked I am at 3 o'clock in the morning. I thought it was holy and righteous before God. But when they have barfed all over their bed for the fourth time, I can't find a Bible verse that covers how I'm supposed to act in that point. I said, Jesus, take the wheel. Amen. I can't handle this. Please. And if you have kids, you're with me. You're tracking. Some of you might come to the altar right now. <laughs> but I don't know what happened in Enoch's life, but having his son was, must have been a more meaningful event than other events. Having a child changes your perspective. It changes your diameter. <laughs> it changes your wants. It changes your desires. From now 
till they're gone or you're gone. You're worried. Where are they at? What are they doing? And why are they doing it? And who are they with? And what time do they get there? And what time are they coming back? All the journalistic questions are added. Who, what, when, why, why, <laughs> how long? And children can do that. They can change your perspective on yourself and change your perspective on your spouse. All of a sudden, we should go to church. We don't want to raise a heathen. It was fine to skip every once in a while. We read our Bible together. But now someone has got to teach someone. By the way, what Brother Titus said this morning, it's your job. But you, I believe, should be in church. Let someone else teach your child every once in a while. That's not bad. And God uses it. Now, birth, by the way, I'm just going to make this point. I'll make it one more time because I think it's important to understand among Christianity because we, you ever realize how far we swing? We, the pendulum swings back and forth. When Methuselah had a baby, he didn't suddenly go hide away from the culture. A hermit, often the word... You get around some Christians, they believe, well, I'm just going gonna, gonna to isolate my child until they are 45 years old. And then I'm going to let them consider going out into the village to find someone to marry. And I found this. They're often not ready with anything about life if they don't get a chance to see something wicked every once in a while. I'm not talking about getting involved in sin. I'm talking about being in this world and how, how to relate to people and how to witness to people. And, so, and parents, it's your job to know when to dip them into that pool. But Methuselah started to live for the Lord. He wasn't a hermit. He didn't join a cult and grow his hair out long and eat barley and, and do everything that he's supposed to do to live a godly life and stay away from the culture. No, he lived for God. He walked for God. But have you ever wondered what happened with Methuselah? What happened to the world's longest living man? It had to be something. It had to be some reason. But have you ever thought about what the reason is? The thing that made Methuselah live so long was the reason for his father's walk with God. I'll say it again. The thing that made Methuselah so long lived was the reason for his father's walk with God. The key is in Methuselah's name. Methuselah's, Methuselah's name means when he is dead, it shall be sent. What is it? What happens and it shall be sent? What is this? Now we could take a guess and we'd probably be right. But you could also do it mathematically. If you look at verse 25... We find Methuselah was 187 years old when his son Lamech was born. By the way, that might have been a name to correct the other Lamech. This is not the same Lamech in chapter 4. Maybe it was. I don't know. But we look at verse 28. We see that Lamech, which is Methuselah's son, when his was 182 years old when his son Noah was born. Genesis chapter 9 tells us that Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. Noah lived 950 years, and 350 of those years were after the flood. So that leaves him at 600 years old, Noah, when the flood came. All you have to do is take 600 and add it to 369, which makes what? Unless you're common core math, it makes 969. It's the same number we find in chapter 5, verse 27. In the days of Methuselah were 969 years, what? And he died. And when he dies, it shall be sent. I don't know if I'm stretching it here, but maybe one of the reasons for the change in Enoch's life is that he hoped with his walk with God he would be a better example. He would have more power in prayer and possibly extend his son's life. But the real reason, and this is good, folks, I'm 100% I'm behind living a Christian life as a father and mother. I believe it's right. 
But I also believe the greatest type of a father in the New Testament was the prodigal son's father. And he turned away from the best type of God. You can be a good father and your son can turn away from you. And so let me make this point. The real reason for Methuselah's longevity was not Enoch. Parents, please listen to this point. The reason for Methuselah's longevity is found in verse 3 of chapter 6. The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Mankind got an extra 120 years because of the mercy of God. I'm going to give man more space to repent. And I believe Enoch found out that God wanted his son to be that sign, to be that impetus, to be that man. But I believe God wants to give mercy and grace. And God stretches his time out in long suffering for man to repent. And I want to live a Christian life and I want my kids to live a Christian life. But there is a, there, there's a God in heaven who is more holy than I, who is a better example than I, who has more mercy than I. You say, my kid's not going to church right now and I'm burdened about it. You know who is more? Your God. If they're saved, he redeemed them and he loves them and he wants them back. That prodigal son's father went to the edge of the porch every day and said, maybe it's today. That's a type of God. Maybe it's today they'll come. Maybe they'll repent this Sunday. God's willing to receive sinners. And he's willing to stay a worldwide flood to give man time to repent. He let Abraham, a man who lied twice about his wife, barter with him over the lives in Sodom and Gomorrah. God, would you stay your judgment if there's 50? Would you, would you not do it if there's 50? How about 40? And he allowed a mere mortal to, so to speak, go back and forth with him on eternal lives so that he could show mercy. God's long suffering is so long that we can't even describe it. Peter tried to. In 1 Peter 3.20, he said, The long suffering of God that waited in the days of Noah while the ark was of preparing. Noah sat out there with his sons and built that boat. And every ping of the hammer was a call to repent. Was a call to come. Was a reminder as Noah stood out there, hey guys, just want you to know what this boat's all about. It's about judgment to come and righteousness. It's about you're under the wrath of God if you stay outside this boat. My sons have been building this. We're dragging this thing out. I don't know any man that wants to have a construction project that lasts that long. Especially if it was started by his wife. Amen. He wants to get it done. But that's, you say, you think it took him that long to build a boat? Maybe. Or maybe, as the Bible says, the long suffering of God that waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing. Can I just say something? The Lord just gave me. You know, you ever work on something and realize you're, you're, you, have a, you have a beeline to get the project done. And you know when it's going to be done. And you get on the job site and nobody has the tools. Or they didn't bring the right tool. And now you got to stop. All right. What do we do? Well, we lean on our shovels. And wait. I wonder if you have any setbacks on the building project. 
And all the time, Noah's saying, come on, guys, let's go. Dad, we're trying our best. You know, God does that to you and I. The problems in life that we have, that sometimes we have an idea, this should go this way. My family should be this way. My finances should be this way. We should be at this spot by now. Maybe it's God giving space to someone that needs to repent. And he's using your day on the job for you to see someone that's walking by that needs Jesus Christ. Everything that he's working for, his plan. And Noah waited because God waited. Just as then, so it is now. God is merciful. And he waited on Methuselah to die. Folks, God waited when he dies, it shall come. That's Methuselah's name. <laughs> this is good. He's the oldest man in the Bible. God gave that man as much life as possible before judgment came. What are you awaiting? What are you waiting on? Can I say this this morning without a doubt? God is waiting on you. His mercy doesn't run out. If you're not saved this morning, Paul put it this way in Romans 2. And thinkest thou this, old man, that judges them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? One day I imagine that a few of them went as it become a, as it had become a tourist attraction. Let's go heckle the preacher. Let's go down there and talk about Noah. I got an idea. Let's go make fun of his granddad. Because he's the one that's been preaching that the Lord's returning with 10,000 of his saints. He had an effect on that guy. He had an effect on his grandkids. Let's go make fun of Enoch. They did that for years. Let's go make fun of the preacher. And then one day, he was not. He was gone. I bet it didn't bother him. Finally, silenced that irritating preacher voice. He's talking about this weird stuff of of the Lord returning with ten thousands of the saints and vengeance and fire. And what is he talking about? Where'd he go? Who cares? You don't find a search party for Enoch like you did for Elijah. It seems as if he was gone. Until the thing that was holding back the judgment of God was gone. And just like last night, we haven't had rain in so long that it seemed almost miraculous to me to hear those drops fall out of the sky and the smell of dust and sagebrush coming alive. And those people that made it a a city amusement park to make fun of the man building the boat and his great-granddad Enoch, weird guys, and the sky lit up with the wrath of God. If you're not saved this morning, there's a moment happening where a ton of Enochs are going to leave this world in a moment's time. 
in the twinkling of an eye. Gone. Those that have trusted in Christ, those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will be gone in a split second. And there is wrath coming on this earth like she's never seen. The ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. And I love what God said to Noah. He said, come. Come in the ark. I'm already in here. Maybe God's waiting for you to repent. When is it going to break through in America and God's judgment's going to come down? Maybe because there's people all around us, be they from California, that need the salvation of God. They need the love of Jesus Christ. They need to know that God not only set mercy down, Brother Dempster, for me and for you, but it's open and available for everyone. Maybe God's waiting. Maybe it's not just about me being a perfect Christian before he comes back. Maybe I need to get back out in front of the boat and say, hey, judgment is coming. Repent. Get in the boat. The door is almost shut. God waited for this man to die. It's been told that the granddaughter of Aaron Burr, the notorious politician, who was a very wicked man, by the way, went in a duel with Alexander Hamilton, right? Shot him. Lived till he's 80 years old. It's said that one of his granddaughters came to Christ in an evangelistic meeting. And she went to her granddaughter that evening after she became a Christian and said, I wish you were a Christian too, granddad. Here's what he said. He said, when I was a young man, I went to an evangelistic meeting. I felt my need of God. I felt the need of his forgiveness and mercy. And I know that I should have given my heart to Christ. But I walked out without doing it. Went outside of the stars and I looked up in the sky and I said this to God. God, if you don't bother me anymore, I won't bother you. Honey, God has kept his part of the bargain. He's never bothered me again. It's too late for me to bother him. Someone said that Show, uh, I think one of his relatives showed him a picture of Christ on the cross later in his years. He said, oh, it's, it's all a fairy tale. Until he died. And after this, the judgment. God's waiting. He's waiting on man. You say, God, God waits for man? Oh, yeah. Aren't you glad? Someone in here in this room, he waited a long time. He lovingly drew you to himself over decades. And he waited. Maybe God's waiting right now for you, for your loved ones, for your family, for your coworker, for someone outside these doors to repent. Go tell him again. Father, thank you for waiting for me. Thank you for the grace and mercy that you extended to a sinner like myself. Thank you, God, that yes, you must judge sin because you're a righteous judge. But you're so merciful and so kind and so loving that you would even offer your own son as a payment for the sin that we've committed. Lord, there might be someone here this morning. Maybe they've been giving you a stiff arm. Said, I don't need God. I'll do this thing on my own. Maybe today, Lord, 
it would bring joy to my heart and all those that know you, but Lord, it brings joy in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. So Lord, I pray for that one that's here today that doesn't know Christ. I don't know, God, maybe you're staying your judgment right now on this world for them. I, I, I do know that. That's the truth. They're hearing the gospel that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again for their justification. He suffered on the cross for their righteousness. And they're hearing the message right now, Lord, that if they would repent and trust Christ, they would be saved. And so, God, yes, you are waiting for them. I pray, Lord, they'd come and be saved today. And for your believers that know you, maybe they're waiting on you to work. Remind them that you're a merciful God and you want to see their loved ones saved. You want to see their teenager come back to God more than they do. And you're willing to stay judgment. Encourage your people today, we pray. In Christ's name. Let's stand, and if you don't mind, with your heads bowed and eyes closed. I have uh, had a few conversations with some college students. They're burdened for their friends, for their siblings that are not right with God. I just want to extend an invitation to the families that are praying for prodigals today to come and pray. Pray again. A, a prodigal sibling, prodigal parent, prodigal grandparents, come pray for them. You say, I've given up. Oh, man, I know we can. It's, it's easy to do. We, we look at what man does sometimes. And we say, oh, they're hard-hearted. God knew what the judgment on the world was going to be with the flood. And so he gave us the longest living man as a sign of how much he loves us. Come pray from this morning. That help them get back up on the mountain again. I know there's some who have relatives, have siblings, have kids, grandkids. Spiritually molting right now. Pray God bring someone by them to renew them, to drop the word, the meat to them. You never know what God may do. Don't give up if God hasn't. If they're breathing, they're salvageable. We're going to sing a hymn this morning, closing number 501. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Nothing
come forward and this morning we'll have a prayer of dismissal. So I want to ask you one more time, keep praying for that one that had not come back yet. Our pastor in Ohio was one of those kind. Went out and lived like the devil. And God got a hold of him through preaching. Through preaching cassette tapes in his dad's truck. Through the singing of Lester Olaf. God convicted his heart. He got right with God. Through the end times in the 90s when we were in the Gulf War. God used all kinds of things to bring him back. And he, he's going just as passionately for God as he was for sin. You say, man, they're way far gone. Just think how good they'll serve God when they come back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this reminder of the grace of God. And uh, Lord, there's not anybody in this room that hasn't in some way, shape, or form experienced the, the grace of God. Father, uh, we don't all understand the, the, your purpose and uh, the things that uh, people go through, but we don't, do know that uh, your grace is sufficient for everything. Lord, be with us. Uh, Lord, we pray for all of those that uh, were uh, represented, uh, those prodigals, those people that we're praying for that are not saved or not living for, for God. Lord, I just pray that uh, you continue to work in their lives, help us to be diligent, uh, to offer that stretch out arm if they want to make their way back. And Father, help us to remember that we're not for the grace of God. That's where we'd be too. Lord, we do love you. We thank you for what it is that you're going to do. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.